Hello, welcome to the GemServe CyberHacks podcast, where we look at the emerging threats and new challenges in cybersecurity and privacy. In this series, we will be discussing these issues with a special guest drawn from the front line of cybersecurity and privacy. Today, I'm indeed very pleased to welcome Nina Sheik to discuss deepfakes and disinformation. In this session, we are going to explore the growing privacy concerns related to deepfakes, the challenges they pose to an individual's right when their biometrics are misappropriated, other wider issues surrounding the notion of consent, the impact of disinformation on our right to private life, and how we as a society and privacy professionals could potentially help fight back these challenges in this complex era of synthetic media and AI. Nina, warm welcome to you and thank you for joining me today. Great to be here, Natasha. Let's just get started. I'm interested in understanding how the harms, they actually extend far beyond politics and could really affect our private and intimate life. And as you mentioned in your book, it's not just TV stars, politicians who are concerned. My first question is, how could deepfakes threaten and undermine our privacy? And from your perspective, what are the core issues in the privacy context? So I think that fundamentally, if you conceive of deepfakes, right, as being on the spectrum of mis and disinformation, so synthetic media when it's used maliciously, it's always has a human cost. And I think that started to become apparent over kind of the past few years, especially in the context of COVID, especially in the context of what's been happening in the United States. But with deepfakes in particular, they take it one step further. Because the AI that's behind deepfakes, one thing that it's astonishingly good at is recreating humans. Um, this technology, right, deepfake and synthetic media creation has only been around for about five years. And if a machine learning system is fed the right data, what we found is that AI can is very good at recreating fake humans. So if you look, for example, at the website, thispersondoesnotexist.com, those are all AI created images of human faces, humans who don't exist, but you and I wouldn't be able to tell that that's not a real human. But not only is AI really good at recreating fake humans, it's really good at recreating real humans. If you feed a machine learning system the right training data, it can literally be taught to hijack our biometrics. By that, I mean our digital likeness, our voice. It's difficult to imagine a more profound threat to your individual privacy than literally an AI being able to recreate your biometrics. And more than that, the understanding that this technology is going to democratize the creation of synthetic media for almost anyone with limited technical expertise, with zero budget, will be able to recreate you in a scenario that you did not give consent for. So it's really, really difficult to imagine anything that poses a more profound private and intimate threat than the malicious use of synthetic media. 
just doing a bit of reading, there is also, you know, the wider issue around the provenance point. And then how do you assign accountability to who has done it? And if I am a victim of it, yeah, how do I get a remedy? And also, how do we attribute responsibility? I could say this as something which is really difficult to be resolved. I think there's a very lot of very important questions. And unfortunately, my answer is that those challenges are so vast that it's difficult to see uh, a future in which they can be resolved. Because right now, if you look at the first kind of use case, most malicious and widespread use of synthetic media is in non-consensual pornography. It started at the end of 2017 when they first started emerging on Reddit. And this was due to these advances that were being made in the AI research community and an anonymous user calling himself deepfakes, a kind of play on words of deep learning and fake, basically figured out how to use some of these open source tools that were coming out of the AI research community to make AI generated fake films, pornographic films of female celebrities. Fake pornography has existed for as long as Photoshop, at least maybe even longer. But this was something completely different because this wasn't just, you know, an image of somebody's face photographed onto a porn star's body. This was actually a video of an actress as though she was alive, as though she was engaging in these acts. When it comes to attribution of people who make this content, first of all, They're often anonymous. You are dealing with actors who are acting transnationally across borders. So as has become increasingly apparent, if you are a woman who's become a victim of non-consensual pornography made by AI, you have little recourse. There are no legal frameworks. In fact, a lot of the people who were targeted by deepfake porn found that when they went to the authorities, the answer was that they couldn't really do anything. This first case study, in my view, illustrates the problems in terms of um, how you are going to deal with this type of content creation in the future, because it's simply going to be very, very difficult to kind of find out who did it. Um, and even if you know who did it, how do you uh, how do you deal with someone if they're in a different uh, jurisdiction? There is no regulation. You can't really see it without a transnational kind of infrastructure or, or legal system to be put in place. I understand that deep fake. Yeah, it's pornography is the new form of sexual privacy intrusion and it's mainly targeted at women and I understand that it's probably one of the most prevalent use cases for deep fakes and it's so demeaning to its victims. So what would you think are the ramifications around consent in this context? Well, ideally, we should be looking at a world where nobody's likeness should be deep faked without their explicit consent, right? And if you look at legitimate synthetic media companies, this is the approach they're taking because the kind of companies, for instance, Synthesia, which works in corporate communications, you explicitly need the person who is being deepfaked or recreated in synthetic media to give their consent in order to be deepfaked. Okay. Uh, you have another company that I can think of. It's called Descript, and it's actually for synthetic voice generation, a, a tool which is going to be very, very useful to podcasters. So, for example... If you, uh, whilst recording this podcast, listen back and you think, oh, you know, I wish I had said, uh, phrased that question a little bit differently. Yeah. You could use already Descript's platform for them to synthetically generate your voice, recreating a part of the question differently. 
you would need to give your explicit consent in order for Descript to be able to do that. If you wanted to change something that I had said, you would need my explicit consent. The problem is that even with these companies, which are legitimate startups, it poses a lot of kind of red tape to what they can and can't do. And I had a very interesting conversation with the CEO of Descript a few months ago, where he said, this function that we have, which is you basically always need to opt in and give explicit consent for any kind of interaction that happens is really cumbersome. And it doesn't make sense from a user experience point of view, because what if you just want to ask your producer to fix it and your producer needs to come to you, who needs to come to me, it's probably not going to be realistic. So even in the space where you have legitimate uh, commercial kind of startups working with synthetic media, you can see how very quickly these kind of uh, always consent options are going to be frittered away. But in terms of the malicious use, of course, there's never going to be any consent. And that's really the, the, the crux of the problem, right? Because as the technology improves, less and less training data is needed. Already, you can kind of create a fake nude or an audio clip of somebody with just 10 seconds of audio or a single image. So how are you going to be able to police all of these interactions? And I would say it's impossible. And how also do we, you know, manage the consent issue over the long term period, especially with licensing? So it's practically difficult, isn't it? I think there's going to be a very interesting subfield in the future of synthetic media, which is going to be about license, licensing right to use image. One of the very, as I already mentioned, the one of the astonishing things about AI is it's Un, uh, unbelievable ability to recreate humans. So for example, it can even resurrect the dead, right? Um, if you take, for instance, a audio recording of a dead president like uh, JFK, we're already at the stage where you can use AI to recreate his voice to make him say things. Now, can you imagine how that might be used for a history film in the future or uh, an advertising campaign. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of kind of digital image licensing agreements spring up for kind of politicians and celebrities and famous people. And I think there's going to be a lot of money to be made, even amongst the living. So you can imagine like this personalized ad campaign for the latest Jordans, where Michael Jordan speaks to you individually, each consumer. But in order for the company that runs that ad campaign to be able to do that, they'd probably need to get the licensing rights from Jordan himself. That is only going to be one small part of the future of synthetic media, where you actually will have these licensing agreements for these celebrities and public figures. But uh, I think that is not going to be the norm. I think the norm for individuals is that they can be targeted without their consent and there isn't much recourse. And that really is the dangerous part of it. Do you see that could almost like herald the death of the right to private lives. When we look at things like deepfake porn, for instance, if we are thinking, let's say, LGBTQ community, they are subject to this, that could cost someone their freedom or even their life, depending in which country they live. And I think if I'm not mistaken, in your book, you do sign the Myanmar example. So can you talk through a bit of the impact here that is a bit more broader. Absolutely. I think it's hard to imagine a more dire threat to an individual's right to privacy. 
And I think this is going to become a very important civil liberties issue. The first kind of use cases we've already touched upon is this non-consensual pornography, right? Where women, and by the way, even children now, minors, are are being um, recreated in this non-consensual fake pornography. Even though it's not real, it's so damaging to those who have been victims of this. Mm-hmm. However, this is... The pornography angle of it is a very gendered phenomenon, right? 99% of victims of deepfake porn are women. But this, in my view, it doesn't mean that this is a tawdry woman's issue. It might have started with porn, just like the internet itself, right? Porn is at the pioneering edge. But this is just the start of a much broader civil rights problem, civil liberties issue, Because we're already starting to see the manifestation of that in different arenas, right? As political disinformation, as a weapon of fraud. For instance, in 2019, the Wall Street Journal reported on the first kind of major use case of deepfake audio fraud, where the CEO of a energy company was basically called by the head of the parent company in Germany. He thought he was speaking to his German boss because of his accent, his cadence, his tone. And his boss told him to wire, you know, a quarter of a million dollars to a Hungarian energy supplier. The British CEO had no reason to believe that he was speaking to anyone but his boss. He did it. And it later transpired that these were fraudsters who were using very sophisticated AI-assisted voice technology to recreate the the voice of his boss, who obviously was a public figure. So that training data that was needed in order to recreate his voice was easily available online. So this, again, I think just the sheer magnitude of what we're facing here is all-encompassing. And unfortunately, you're looking at a future where those who are well-resourced, like celebrities, like politicians, Uh, like uh, business leaders are going to have more ability to protect themselves because even if they are deep faked, they'll have their PR team, crisis comms, a lot of damage can be done. But what happens to the individual when they're deep faked and they have no such resources? You know, what happens when your teenage daughter is bullied at school because of the result of deep fake pornography? This is not only something that is possible, this is something that's already happening. So I think the key issue here, again, is about the individual who has no resources and no recourse in, in order to protect themselves. How, how do we handle that? And that's the big question. Do you think if there were at all, if it was possible, like the introduction of criminal codes in respect of stolen biometrics, and could that be useful, you know, to control the unauthorized use of digital self-image? It would be a very good starting point. With regards to deepfakes now and its malicious use, there is no national legislation in place, right? The first country where there might be some national legislation in place is in the UK, where the issue of deepfake pornography is now maybe going to be integrated into the legal framework. But as we've already discussed, it's so much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you had an updated legal framework on actual stolen biometrics itself, which is essentially what the problem is, right? Pornography is only one manifestation of that. The next question is, okay, all well and good instituting a legal framework for this, but how do you implement it when a lot of the activity is happening across borders? 
And Scarlett Johansson, the Hollywood actress who was one of the first um, targets of deepfake pornography, for instance, uh, she did a very kind of exasperated interview with the Washington Post in 2019 when she talked about her experiences and how her PR team and her legal team were trying to take down all these deepfake porn videos of her. But she's like, it is of no use because in different jurisdictions, it's uh, whether it's in Germany or in Australia or in the US, it's completely different. So she had kind of given up on it. Uh, there was actually the legal kind of recourse in order to have, to have this content removed again, I'm using porn as an example because it's the most prolific one right now, was that it was easier to lodge a copyright complaint via the porn company that had made the original film where the celebrity's face had been superimposed rather than the celebrity to say these are my biometrics that have been stolen and used without my consent in this way. So the point is that the legal framework doesn't exist. Even if you did make it about stolen biometrics, the next question is, well, how do you enforce that? So Ultimately, it would only work if you had some kind of transnational agreement where you agree amongst perhaps like-minded countries, because I don't see this happening at a global level, perhaps with like the UK and the EU, the US and the EU, where you agree to share data and uh, have cross kind of broad border jurisdiction on issues like this. But that's, as we know, uh, with all of cybersecurity is very complicated. What are your thoughts around, you know, balancing the freedom of expression with our privacy protections. So, for instance, in the entertainment industry, so everyone is free to express themselves. We can make satires. It's it's really a thin line, isn't it? So what are your thoughts around this? It is very difficult. And, and that's why there is no easy answer, right? Especially when, again, talking about deepfakes and synthetic media, your first impulse might be, well, if they can be used in this way to maliciously harm people and steal people's biometrics, then it's obvious they should just be outlawed, banned. Mm -hmm. Two problems with that. First of all, you are essentially setting the precedent that some authority then gets to say what's authentic and synthetic media. Mm -hmm. That can be a devastating tool for authoritarian regimes. Right. Very interesting to point out that the Chinese government is the only government that has uh, instituted a blanket ban on deepfakes, right? So you're essentially saying the central government then has the power to say what's real and what's not. So even if a real video, an authentic video, for example, of a human rights abuse, we uh, consider, for example, what's happening to the Uyghurs in Xinjiang pro province were to emerge, the government would then have the power to say, well, that's not an authentic video. So very difficult, I think, to say that all deepfakes and synthetic media should be banned for authoritarian impulses, but also because, as we've already covered, there's going to be so much commercial ground for synthetic media that is legitimate and shouldn't, shouldn't be banned. In terms of freedom of expression, again, lots of gray areas. A lot of the kind of deepfakes that are emerging right now have to do with art or po political satire. It's very difficult to say that these should not be created because again, I think they have a legitimate place in society. So I think when it comes to synthetic media and deep fakes in particular, the context is key and the intent 
behind the creation, which is why any kind of blanket regulation or blanket bans are always going to be difficult. So do we at least have a starting point? I am thinking of the key actors here, the government, the social media platforms, but also the society. And we've got data privacy professionals and cybersecurity professionals. So what would you say what each of their responsibilities should be? Wow. In terms of um, where are we with regards to addressing this challenge, I would say that if there was a mountain to climb, then we're just at the point where we're discovering that there's a mountain to climb. So we're, we're, we're very much at the beginning. And this is actually a problem that predates actual deepfakes and synthetic media, right? Because already before um, deepfakes or synthetic media were even viable, thanks to kind of the breakthroughs in deep learning over the past decade, the internet was already posing these problems against privacy, against individuals. Um, again, to use porn as an example, just because porn has been so pioneering, is that even before there was non-consensual AI-generated pornography, lots of women found themselves subjected to humiliating campaigns of abuse by non-AI-generated fake porn. And they found that nowhere they went, they could get this content removed precisely because of the nature of the challenge. And all that deepfakes and synthetic media does is augment these problems because the technology makes it that much easier to hijack your biometrics in a way that has simply not been possible before. So it's understandable in a way when I say that we are only at the point of discovering that we need to climb a mountain because the scale of the challenge is so immense, right? We've been discussing deepfakes in the contents uh, in the context of individual privacy and autonomy. But if you take a step back, they're just one emerging phenomenon in an information ecosystem that's a complete paradigm change from everything we've known in human history. And it's just started unfolding over the kind of past 30 years. We're still grappling with understanding, you know, just what the internet, social media, and smartphones have done to the rights of individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and they, the internet's been around for over 30 years. So when it comes to synthetic yeah. media, we are way, way, way behind. It wouldn't make sense to say that there is any nation which is actually leading or has started leading in this area. So there are actually various different initiatives emerging. The United States is uh, leading the way in many ways. The United States military, the DARPA program, has been working on a deepfake kind of detection platform for at least four years as part of their metaphor program. But also state legislators and national legislators are starting to look at the problem of deepfakes. If you look at the US, there is no legislation at the federal level right now, but there are several state-led initiatives. So for instance, in Texas and California, there are now laws that it's illegal to use a deep fake in the context of trying to sway an election. But again, there has been no legislation for the individual per se, right? So these efforts that exist are about political disinformation and election interference. The UK might actually be the first country in the world to institute a national legislation in the context of deep fake porn. Are there actions that, you know, governments could take to teach their societies? So, for example, you know, probably my mom wouldn't know about this topic. She she wouldn't even think that a video probably is a deep fake because probably she doesn't pay too much attention. So what can governments do about this, really starting at the very basic level? I think this is has to become 
one of the key priorities of government and society, uh, not only inoculating against deep fakes, but mm -hmm. actually tackling head on the, the kind of challenges, the broader challenges of our changing information ecosystem, which is so fraught with dangers. The really interesting thing I will mention, which is kind of counterintuitive when it comes to digital literacy, because one part of solving this is inoculating the public, right? Teaching them what a deep fake is. Mm -hmm teaching them that you are now in an era where you cannot necessarily, even if you see it and hear it, it's not necessarily believing. You can't believe even the most kind of authentic looking video. But one of the pernicious side effects of that is something known as the liar's dividend. Because in a world where everything can be faked, including video, which we until now kind of see as like the benchmark of authenticity, right? Because it's so hard to actually like manipulate video in a way, unless you're an extremely well-resourced actor, like a, like a Hollywood studio. So when we see kind of manipulated video in the cinema, we know that that's make-believe, but we don't often see it in the wild. So that's why video evidence, for example, is so powerful in a court of law. So if you teach people that, well, forget all of that. Now you're in an era where even your own extension of your own perception, forget your processing fluency, even video can be faked. Then you actually are going to make people more cynical, right? And this is the liar's dividend. Bad actors get a double bonus from that because not only can they fake everything, but they can deny everything as well. And because synthetic media isn't ubiquitous yet, we haven't reached the point where it's inundated the information ecosystem. One of the most pernicious side effects about deep fakes, uh, weirdly, as the awareness amongst the public grows that deep fakes exist, is that authentic media is starting to be decried as deep fake. I saw a very interesting example of this earlier last year. I was just submitting the manuscript for my book and it was when the George Floyd video came out. And that video was so powerful that it unleashed this global movement against racism. It wasn't only in the United States, right? It was across the world by the power of that one video. And I was thinking, just as I was submitting my manuscript, it won't be long until even a video like that, which can unite the world today, uh, the authenticity of that video will be called into question. And sure enough, it was two weeks later when a Republican candidate for the House, she was an African-American woman who actually has a PhD, Dr. Winnie Hardstrong is her name, basically started submitting or circulating on social media her 24-page report about why the George Floyd video is a deep fake. This isn't some fringe person on some wacky, crazy conspiracy theory, kind of like Reddit 4chan thread. This is a woman of color who is standing to be an elected representative of the United States. So you really see the power there of both deep fakes, but also the liar's dividend, which is this weird dynamic. So you have to become critical right. without being cynical. And I think that's one of the key components of any kind of digital literacy campaign. For us, data privacy professionals, how do you think we could respond to that? There is a big aspect of ethics in AI when we are talking about deep fakes. So what would your tips be for us? I think there is a window of opportunity here. It's probably not going to last very long because um, 
as we've already discussed, we're at the very beginning kind of of this synthetic media journey, right? The barriers to entry are still a lot higher than what people think sometimes when you read kind of uh, headlines about deepfakes and how accessible they are. So there is this window of opportunity to talk about the ethical and responsible use of synthetic media and to try and get some frameworks in place uh, with regards to maybe a transnational framework. And it's been really interesting to see many industry-led initiatives starting to arise in this space, both with regards to media provenance, the ethics of deepfake use, and distinguishing the taxonomy between synthetic media and deepfakes and understanding that, you know, this is not an issue where you can throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. There will be legitimate applications of deepfakes, uh, uh, of synthetic media. Yeah. So I think as a data and privacy professional, there is a lot of imperative for you, if you're interested in this, to become involved in the kind of public discourse around this, because it will affect policy decisions. So I think this is the time to, to seize that opportunity. I think that's all in terms of my question. It's been enlightening and fascinating talking to you, um, Nina. So I think on behalf of GemServe, I would like to thank you and your team. Really interesting topic. So viewers, I would like to encourage you to read Nina's book on deepfakes and the infocalypse, what you urgently need to know. It's scary, but it's compelling. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for having me.